Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. In the solar industry, you know, you take care of each other and it was a tough project and kind of needed a life raft and they were able to throw a life raft in terms of the modules. Hey there, solar warriors. I'm Nico Johnson and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs who are building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Today is episode 108 and it's Tactical Tuesday time. This is a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips and advice for building your solar career or business. If you listened to last week's episode with Josh Tigeser, then you will recognize today's guest. Michael Foster, and indeed all procurement managers, plays a critical role in the success of his company's development team and project execution. And Michael understands the procurement process better than most. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Hey, Solar Warriors, I just wanted to give you a quick little intro. You know, I originally just reached out to Michael for additional sound bites so that I could include them in that NPR style episode we did with Josh last week. But I was so impressed with this conversation that I decided to publish it as a standalone episode. And it fits well with the Tactical Tuesday theme. You know, I hope that you do get tangible takeaways from every episode, but especially these Tactical Tuesdays. I'd like to know what you learned. You know, you could tweet or share on LinkedIn your biggest takeaways and use the hashtag Tactical Tuesday. Be sure to tag me on that too. And now, on with the show. How early on, we'll take the Sterling Project as an example, how early on are you aware of what the development team, in particular Josh, is working on such that you start thinking about how to line up the pieces? You know, I say all the time that in our office in San Diego, which is kind of our energy storage headquarters, we have about 30 to 40 different opportunities up on the board. And as they become more real, and as we get to the point that our customers are asking for some budgetary numbers or some bids, that's kind of when I get involved and it kind of hits my radar. And so that really depends on when they want it built. But, you know, for Sterling, it was very much a quick turnaround. You know, it was, hey, I need to get numbers in in the next 30 days, and then it ended up being built. But, you know, a lot of the things that we're looking at now has a bit of a larger timeline where we're putting together some proposals and they won't be built for two, three years. Anytime they go to send numbers out the door, usually I'm at least slightly involved or at least consulted on the project and I get some insight into what they're dealing with or if they need my input or opinion on the way in which they're looking to structure things. How would you say that you handle having such an immediate deadline? And along with that, what's the procurement strategy and the partnerships that you've been working on along and along that help undergird support a project when a Sterling arrives that's like, oh shit, we got to turn this around. Like we're on a dime. To answer the first question, how do we turn things on, on such a quick time? I think one is relying on the partnerships that we have and the partnerships that we've had for a number of years. Uh, I started doing energy storage projects almost eight years, eight, nine years ago for the utility of San Diego Gas and Electric. And some of the relationships I developed there within the industry are the people that you turn to, you know, and trust they can make things happen in a hurry. 
and then both on the solar side as well, because there was a solar component to that project and working with people, you know, that are hungry for the project and are, can get excited about the project because it was a smaller project in terms of energy storage, but you have to get people that jump out of their seat and are excited about something so they could be a, a good partner, but it's just too small for them. So fortunately, you know, all of our partners on this one were very excited about it. You know, on the integration side, you had Greensmith. I think you had LG Kim as the storage partner. Who else uh, would you say got excited about the project and did any of it surprise you? So REC was on the solar module side of things. And as you know, the modules probably were the first or second hardest portion of this because we were right in the midst of Seneva or just had just finished the big deal that we did to protect our solar project with first solar. But this was, you know, October. There was no modules to be had, at least for any relative cost. And REC, who I've, I've known those guys for some time, they were really able to step up and they got excited about the project because, one, there was a storage component to it. Two, I knew that they were coming out with some of their bifacial modules. And this was a commercial rooftop and they had some bifacial modules left over and they also had some traditional modules that we could use on the rooftop and it's just a, a really interesting dynamic to put kind of both those on the roof so we're going to see now kind of how bifacials are going to work on the roof as well and and rac was able to do it and ensure at a competitive price that we could get our modules to the site prior to the end of the year because if you remember all the talk was that you know, if you didn't have them before the year, you could be getting slammed with even a heavier tariff. So you had the increased cost of where the market was. And then you also had what would happen if those modules were delivered late. And they just couldn't be delivered late because of the risk of whenever Sunil was actually going to hit. Right. And perspective for the listener is that we're talking about end of 2017, which is a full three months ahead of the technical deadline for the project. So there's a regulatory, we'll call it constraint or a double regulatory constraint. I would say this was the hardest problem for you guys to solve apart from the land. But this is where I, I really said to Josh, I'd love to speak with Michael because understanding how you, as one who worked for Trina, I've been on the module side, I've worked on projects trying to secure modules. Like this is a really hard problem to solve, least of all, rather most of all in Q4 when you're trying to make sure that you're not stuck in January, February on a March deadline without modules inbound. What was the lead time that you were hearing typically from module vendors? And then what was REC's turnaround time? The lead time was, you know, after the first year, right? I mean, no one had any modules. And you know, granted, we didn't need a lot. We needed about a megawatt and a half. But all your big four, big five at that time were sold out. I mean, they had, everyone was oversold. They had nothing that they could get in for the end of the year. And unfortunately, we had a, a good relationship with REC. And they had a few stacked away in a corner, if you will. And they were able to pull those onto the project for us. And, being that REC is a great manufacturer, they also didn't have, you know, 55 customers to try and service, you know, that large line that everyone else was trying to make it out the door. We could be one of their top priorities. I think they really jumped on it and made us feel like we were a big customer, even though it was only a megawatt and a half order. How much of that is because they want to get in good graces with Orgis and they're looking forward, from your perspective as a procurement manager, they're looking forward to follow on business? I think a little bit, but I think that's just the way in which they do business because they play very heavily in the residential market. Yeah, commercial's not a strong suit for them right now in the U.S. But I think that they just wanted to do right by me and the relationship kind of that we had built a couple of folks at, or just knew a couple of folks at RAC and I knew a couple of folks over there and 
everyone just in the solar industry, you know, you take care of each other. And it was a tough project and kind of needed a life raft. And they were able to throw a life raft in terms of the modules. I think it's remarkable that we finally achieved a time and a place in our industry where a major manufacturer, and I think we can say now that REC is, in fact, a major manufacturer has returned back to their former glory, is willing to say, yeah, bifacial at monofacial prices. Perhaps that's strategic on REC's point, but I think that we're moving into a time where, at least on utility scale, since we see so many developers, you guys included, moving towards bifacial, it's encouraging to see manufacturers standing up and taking a position, you know what, yep, we're going to work to get bifacial down to the same cost point. I think everyone isn't blind to see where PPA prices are going and to see the overall CapEx pressures that we're facing, even Suniva excluded, but then you throw things like Suniva on top of it, and it's significantly more difficult. And they need to sell modules in one way in which you can do it. You can only get so much cost out of the cost of manufacture, and then we need to bump up the energy, right? We need to pull another lever to hit the returns that we need for the project to make them viable to be built. Ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone wants to sell models, everyone wants to build projects. And their folks that are doing that, pricing them the same, are, are doing their part to help us out. I know. You're listening to this episode because you're tired of doing things the old way and looking for a new approach. And that is precisely why my friends at CPS America, aka Chint Power Systems, have agreed to help make this fresh content possible for you. See, they believe in the power of change and the importance of trying something before others catch on. They are the U.S. market share leader of three-phase string inverters, pioneering that approach since before it was cool. With over two gigawatts shipped in America, Chint's feature-rich, high-performance inverters, and its nimble service team are ahead of the pack, just like you. If you'd like to find out what CPS can do for your CNI and utility business, reach out to me for an intro, nico at mysuncast.com. Or you can reach out to them directly and just let them know you heard it here on Suncast. I mean, the big story around this project is that it is not just a great story for Sterling around getting Origins in there to do the project on time and under budget, but it is the first solar plus storage Muni project of its kind. So from a procurement perspective, we may have already touched on this, but how did LG Kim and Greensmith come into focus on this project? Towards the end of last year, we were kind of facing our batteries shortage as well. We were short on, on batteries where there wasn't a whole lot. If you needed to get anything you know, significant, if you needed five megawatt hours by the end of the year or even in the first quarter of next year, you weren't getting it because the demand in Korea was so high. And I'm speaking largely to, to you know the two top Korean manufacturers there just wasn't any batteries to be had. So I think what's happening now with the lead times going out with the batteries is that everyone in the industry is now focusing, broadening their horizons on other technologies beyond the Korean manufacturers and the bigger names that have been around storage for the last few years. You're seeing expanding supply chains, looking elsewhere throughout China for who else can be there to compete you know, for a variety of different issues, one being cost of cobalt going up. So who's moving away from the the cobalt base chemistry towards maybe a iron phosphate base? So those battery companies. And then it's not good whenever you're out of batteries and you need batteries. And the projects we'd expect, the, you know, 12-week lead time on batteries now suddenly going out to 20, 36 weeks. 
on the project. So that coupled with the cost is certainly a challenge. And I think what everyone in the industry that I've seen doing is we're just expanding our supply base and looking to see who else can come in and compete, who else is making a quality product. What do you see coming down the pike for storage? What are you excited about? I'm excited because, you know, here's me thinking uh, in analogous terms. You had 10 years ago in the solar module market, you had Kyocera, Sharp, First Solar. You had three, four Sun Power were your module guys. And you only used those four guys. They were extraordinarily expensive. And what happened is price continually stayed high, lead time stayed long, and there were shortages on product. It allowed for your other Chinese manufacturers to kind of creep in the back door, right? to start making modules and making them almost as good as say you know, a SunPower or, or a Kyocera, the quality so close. And as we got, if they got better at manufacturing those modules, so became much more competition in the market. And I think that's potentially what's happening now with Chinese battery manufacturers is they're going to start bringing up their quality to which it wasn't even close before. I'd been in battery factories six, seven years ago in China and they were reprehensible. And now we're having these factories making leaps and bounds of progress towards quality. Now, are they as good as some of the A1 in the industry? No, but one, do they need to be as good as the A1? But the price they're offering is significantly less. Is it going to be worth it to pay for that A1 price? So I think that it's bringing a lot of competition in the market and that's exciting. Any particular ones that you have seen that you would call out by name? Companies that you're uh, looking at, uh, you think are going to make a, a strong challenge? I would say E-Trust, Lishin, and then I always botch the name of this, CALP or CALT, or it's a, it's a four acronym, but they are, they just received a significant, I think they just went public or something of the sort. I'll have to look up their acronym, but I think they're making big waves in the industry. It's either C-A-L-T or CLT, I always botch it. But. Yeah, and that's and they're all all four of those are Chinese manufacturers. Correct. I've never, and, they're all four Chinese manufacturers. I and most of the listeners probably have never heard of. <laughs> so I think that, and here's the thing: being in a small developing organization and being a very short procurement organization is that we don't really have the time to personally diligence all these Chinese battery manufacturers to walk the factory floor and. I've been in many battery manufacturing facilities, but I still don't have the expertise to really grind down to the details to see what's going to be good. And I think what we need to do is start relying on those experts in the industry as the integrator partners begin to come up. That's what they do day in and day out is they need to be testing and developing the new technologies. And they're out there in those factories. And we're going to rely on our integrator partners heavily to do the diligence on them. You know, we're going to spend our time diligencing them as well. But ultimately, if the integrator is willing to wrap a Chinese battery manufacturer, then that's the way in which, you know, we need to move things from a procurement standpoint. Are you referring to like the greensmiths of the world or also the the clean energy associates and those kind of guys? Well, the CEA is, to my knowledge, isn't doing energy storage integration. I'm speaking more of... They're not doing integration, but they do a lot of uh, of quality validation, right? Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. they would do testing and validation. You know, they're starting to get into that business. I'm integrators morning, more along the lines of say IHI, a res, for instance, anyone that's going to come in and say, I'm going to sell you the batteries, a POEN, those types of organizations that are coming in, just willing to take everything and put it together for you and stand behind the batteries because ultimately they need to know the battery chemistry. And I think, you know, in terms of integrator space, oh, being in energy storage for a long time, I would say six, eight years ago, 
you only had a couple integrators that you could really trust because it was so complex and so new. And I think and were they small space, or large names or you had your uh, Greensmith or your NECs, you know, Unicos. And now you have a lot of these smaller firms that are popping up or even folks like Res that are traditional construction company and now they're coming in, they're willing to grab the integration portion because I think that knowledge base is growing and the ability to integrate, especially against use cases that may not be that difficult. You know, if you're trying to do a microgrid with Blackstar, the works, you know, maybe you want to get the Cadillac of integrators, but now you're having a much better selection. There's a lot of companies that are coming up, IHI and so forth, that and really compete with the business, which is good because to me, integration is always going to be your linchpin to a successful energy storage project. If you can't integrate well and meet your use cases, you're not going to make any money. Well, Michael, I appreciate you taking the time to dispel some uh, myths and to drop some wisdom on us today. Massively impressed by the level of uh, expertise and knowledge that you and the Origins team are bringing to the market. Thanks so much for having me. Well, well, Solar Warrior, that is a wrap, and you are well-armed for battle. I'd say you should be a lot smarter on procurement today after that chat with Michael. You know, we tried to give you some sound advice, as always, and there's more where that came from. So be sure to go to mysuncast.com where you can jump on the Suncast mailing list, and you won't miss out on all the other value bombs we are constantly dropping here on Suncast. Oh, and if you are drive-in or too tired to just go to the website, you can, of course, right here on your mobile, text the word SUNCAST to 345-345. Just text SUNCAST to 345-345. I'll add you to my mailing list, and you'll get my free one-page webinar guide as a bonus. Look at there. And as always, if there's a topic or expert you think should be on SUNCAST, let me know. My email is nico at mysuncast.com. Hey, here's a little snippet from the next episode of SUNCAST doing your diligence, one should have found that and come to the conclusion that additional polysilicon capacity will come online and the fundamental underlying price is not 400 bucks, it's 15. And, you know, module prices will crash in the near future, making all of this thin film investment basically irrelevant. Be sure to tune in Thursday for the full episode of that conversation with Jenya Medrick, co-founder of PV Evolution Labs, turned solar investor and technology guru. This is one you won't want to miss. You know, I'm so honored that you're still listening. Thank you. I'd like to invite you to join my Super Insiders Club. We call it the Suncast Energy Tribe. It's kind of like my inner circle. And I bounce things off of my inner circle a lot. And I'm going to be sharing a lot of extra goodies with the tribe this year. Some have joined just as a way to say thank you for the show. And for that, I am grateful. To all of my current tribe members, you rock. And I'm eternally grateful for your patronage. You can join them. Just go to mysuncast.com forward slash member. I look forward to formally welcoming you into the tribe, my friend. And thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle. Half the battle.